Bibles with me to Ephesians chapter 1. Set up here. All right, we're starting a new sermon series that really looking at the big story of the Bible and, and where we as a church, where we as God's people fit into it. And uh, we're going to, it's probably really big in scope and maybe more ambitious than I'm aware. We'll see how it goes. But calling it hope for the world that we're sent by God's mission from Genesis to Revelation, that these themes that we're going to see in Genesis get replayed and centered then on Jesus. And it's going to be helpful for us because that's one of the big questions for us as a small church. What is what are we here to do in Saratoga County? What, what, was, what is God's mission for Hope Church look like with these particular people, us together? Right? Or really, what is the mission of the church anyway? What does it mean, as we've been talking about, to be an embassy of heaven here on earth, planted here by Jesus to work for the well-being of our neighbors, um, our families, our county, the world, wherever God may plant us? And even more pointed, right, where do you fit in? Where do I fit in? And so we got to get gripped and, and have our minds informed to say, what does God expect of us? And we're going to look at that. And then the other piece of this is just recognizing there are some online in here uh, that, that the Bible, especially the Old Testament, is just an unfamiliar path. Um, and so I want to lay out a trail through the forest of these 66 books of the Bible because there is a scarlet thread of redemption of these high points that's clear, that's showing that this is one unified story leading to Jesus. Um, there's a path, a way, as we just read in Isaiah, right? There's a way through the wilderness of suffering to that great city where sorrow and suffering flee. And so if you think about it this way, right, there are those who have the courage to just go bushwhacking through the Adirondacks, without a guide, without a trail. They have the confidence and they have the ability to come home without helicopters looking for them later, right? There's very few people who do that. 99% of us, we need a trail. We need someone to level the mountains for us, right? We just, we need discipled to know how to do this. And of course, if you're following Jesus' commands, he says everybody needs discipled on how to understand God's story and how to read it in light of who Jesus is. And so as we, this is just a long introduction, but as we get, go through this together, um, my, I do have a plan, but I'm also open to being fluid, meaning um, if there's something in the Old Testament you're saying, I have no idea how in the world this connects to Jesus, and a sermon on that would be helpful, uh, ask. Right? This is, just come to me, come to one of the elders. Um, if if we need to camp out in Leviticus for a couple weeks, we can camp out in Leviticus for a couple weeks, right? It's your dream come true. Now's your chance. <laughs> um, but this is the, the point is we want to see how this connects to Jesus and the story of what God is up to in the world. Today's passage is just going to lay out the whole story in one long run-on sentence, as Paul is prone to do in, in Ephesians 1. And so let's look at the big story. The story actually begins before God made the world. He had a plan. And Paul's going to lay this out for us. So let's read Ephesians chapter 1, 
the first 14 verses. We'll pray and jump in. This is the word of our God. It says, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, to the saints who are in Ephesus and are faithful in Christ Jesus, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Blessed, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace with which he has blessed us in the beloved. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. In him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will, so that we who are the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, you were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. This is God's word. He has spoken to us today uh, in love. Let's, let's pray. Our Father, our God, you are abundantly good, pouring out blessing after blessing. And as we think about the gospel this morning as what Jesus has done for us, I pray you would show us the, the, the bottomless depths of your love, the heights, uh, the length the width uh, of how your love pours out in our hearts and then sends us out in the, into the world um, to love as we have been loved. And for that to happen, we need to be connected, brought into the life of the Trinity. So we ask for your spirit to make us ready and willing uh, to do the good works that you've prepared for us. In Jesus' name, amen. So there's a story that someone once approached the, the African pastor, uh, Augustine, right? This is like 1,700 years ago, and asked him, what was God up to before creation, right? We have the whole story of the Bible, what was happening before God made the world? And, of course, his snarky answer was probably not too helpful, was, well, he was creating hell for curious souls like you. <laughs> so he needed decaf that morning, apparently. <laughs> All right, I mean, we just read this astounding story of what God was up to, right? Very tiny glimpse. We don't know everything. But we have a very beautiful glimpse of what God was up to before he created. Right? Paul is helping us take a telescope, if you will, to peer back before those famous words, in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. What was he doing? Because right? I mean, when you look at our world, you look at our life, you look at suffering, you look at the way the nations toil and rage, you look at all the chaos out there, you say, is there a plan for this mess? And Paul's answer is absolutely, 
it was planned before. Right? And so this passage, which is one, like from verse 3 to verse 14, famously is one long uh, sentence, right, is Paul like setting off a string of gospel firecrackers where one explosion sends his brain to the next and to the next and to the next, and he, all of a sudden you realize he's connected you from God's plan for the whole world before the foundation all the way to the end of all things when everything is united under King, uh, King Jesus' rule. He's laid out Genesis to Revelation, if you will. And it goes from being blessed in Christ to a guaranteed future in verse 14. And a lot can be said, and I'm going to just, for those of you who love this passage and want all the nitty-gritty details, there's more here than I can say this morning. <laughs> and so just giving you that heads up. I want to zero in on, on what's happening before and, and how that helps us be followers of Jesus today. All right, we're going to see three things, that we are loved, we are wanted, and then we are united to all things, or being united. So let's, let's look at the first point here, that we are loved. In verse 3, Paul says, Blessed, or praise, be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. So we're telling a story, right? As you're, you're in uh, elementary school, you're always asking who is the protagonist, who's the main character of the story. And the main character of the Bible, at its most basic, is right there in the beginning. Right? It's God. God the Father. You have our, our Lord Jesus Christ, who is God the Son. And they're blessing with every spiritual blessing, and the commentators will all say that the spiritual blessing is pointing you to, what, to the Holy Spirit, right? that the Holy Spirit who's connecting us on earth with the life of God in heaven. And so right in the beginning of Paul's explosion of praise is God the Father, God the Son, God the Spirit, three persons, one God, all at work, loving the world, specifically his people. Right? And I don't know when the last time was you spent any kind of extended meditation on what the Trinity is and who God is, and I know it's a hard doctrine to get your mind wrapped around. Nobody has plumbed the depths. But it matters. Right? I want to show you that. Why, why does it matter to believe that God is Father, God is Son, and God is Spirit? Three persons, one God. Because right? I know it's tempting in our culture especially, to, to think like Thomas Jefferson. You know what he wrote to a, it's a famous letter he wrote to a lady. He said, I've never tried to persuade anyone else to believe as I believe about God, because who knows? It doesn't matter what you believe about God. What matters most, it's my life and my deeds, not my beliefs. I mean, he's trying to persuade this woman of his beliefs about God, but that's a whole other conversation. And but the entire Bible says, no, what you believe about God shapes how you then will live. Right? Ephesians is one example. Be kind to one another. Forgiving. Why? As God in Christ forgave you. Those things are bound up together. Who God is, and if we're made in his image, is going to shape who we are and what we do reflecting his image in the world. 
right? And so, let's ask this question. Why are all Christians, every follower of Jesus in this room, sent out to do good, sent out to love your neighbor, right? To give rather than take, to love rather than hate. And the answer that the Bible gives over and over again is it's because of who God is. God is Father. It's his nature to be a person who blesses, who's other-centered in his nature. Right? So you see here, God is Father and he chose us in Christ before the foundation of the world in love. In love, we were predestined to be adopted as sons by God the Father through Jesus Christ. And so you're starting to get a glimpse here of who God is. At his core, he is Father, he is Son, he is Spirit. He's in this relationship of other-centered love. Before the world began, God is Father, preparing to share the love he has for the Son with us, to adopt us. It's no different than what Jesus taught. Paul's echoing what Jesus said. You remember Jesus' famous prayer on the night uh, he's he's about to go to the garden, the night he was betrayed. This is John 17. What does Jesus pray and say he came to do in verse 26 of John 17? He says, Father, I've made known to them your name, and I'm going to continue to make your name known, that the love with which you have loved me may be in them and I in them. Right? And even earlier he said, I want them to see my glory that you have given me because you love me before the foundation of the world. You see the connection? See, Jesus is praying for us to know and see that the, the reason he came is that you would know that you are loved by your Father in heaven as Jesus was loved for all eternity. Right? That God's Son, Jesus, was fathered before the, he, was, he was loved by the Father before the foundation of the world. Right? It says this infinite, eternal, unchangeable, fatherly love. Right? Like I said, we get glimpses. That's why Michael Reeves says, right, the God that is revealed by Jesus Christ before he ever created, before God ever ruled, before he ever said, I am king, submit to me. Before anything else, this God was a father loving his son. So if we're laying out the big story of the Bible, the true story of the world, what we're being told about the world story and every Christian story, it begins with God's fatherly love. It's right there. Right. And so if, we, if you keep meditating on this, right, another way to look at this. It's another way to say that the main character of the Bible, the main character of the world, the, the, the author of your story and my story, he is love. Now we're getting into the, to, to 1 John. Right, if God is Father, and he's always been in relationship with the Son, and has always loved the Son, then he's always been other-centered. He is love. I know your brain's getting melted. Stay with me. This is going to pay off here. Right? It's another way of saying, look, the whole reason the world is is because God in, in his 
in eternity past, his desire was to want to share his love. Right, so another old pastor named Richard Sibbs uh, talks about God this way. He is a life-giving, warming sun who delights to spread his beams and influence in inferior things to make all things fruitful. But God's like a sun, and because he sheds his light, it's just who he is, right? He blesses everything that falls into his light. And Sibbs goes on to say, Such a goodness is in God as in a fountain bubbling up and spreading out. And if God did not have this natural, communicative, right, spreading goodness, he would have never created the world. Because the Father, Son, and Spirit were happy in themselves, and they enjoyed one another before. But this God, the God of the Bible, what does he love to do? (laughs) Share, spread his love. Spread his goodness. So I lay all that out. So when Paul says the Father in heaven is the giver of every spiritual blessing, right? If you want to know why Christians, when they're at their best, (laughs) to be clear, why they're other-oriented, why they're generous with their money, why they're willing to love when it's inconvenient, when it hurts, why the church from the beginning has been, at its best, a fountain of spreading overflowing goodness and blessing to the world it's because they've been loved by the father they're simply imitating their father in heaven and so that's that's my question for you this morning is do you know this person (laughs) do you know god as father because that's how he wants to be known the god and father of our lord jesus christ when you get to chapter three in ephesians that's what paul prays What does he want you to know? He says, I want you to know that you being rooted and grounded in love may have the strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the the length, the breadth, the height, the depth, the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge. And that's how you're filled with God. So like I said, this is not The Trinity is high and lofty and hard to get our minds wrapped around, but in its simplicity, God loves you the way a father loves his son, the way the perfect father loves the perfect son for all eternity. So when you're adopted into God's family, you're brought into a love that's deeper and higher and bigger and greater than you can comprehend. And yet that's what we're called to do, is understand that more personally, more deeply. Now, why does that matter? Well, we're going to get into the creation story next week, but think about this. Our secular neighbors, those who don't know or reject the story of the Bible, their general understanding is what? That, that, that we're just here. There's no plan. There's no personal being. There's no God who is love. There's no goal. There's no purpose. We're cosmic accidents. Right? There's no such thing as love written into the very fabric of the universe. And so what we call, what we call love, right? when we hug our kids or we, we have these close friendships and, and, and marriages, and right? that's just a chemical reaction helping us live and survive and cope <laughs> in this world. Right? All there is was power, and then it's going to fade away. 
Our Muslim neighbors, what's their view of God? Well, at his core, the, the Islamic view of God is Alu Akbar, right? He is great. But he's also a God who's only and ever been alone, one God. Right? And if you've only and ever been by yourself for all eternity, how can you be love itself? Because by definition, to be love, you have to have someone else to love. There's other kinds of creation stories, right? I mean, some of the ancient ones, there's gods fighting violent battles and humans are formed from the corpses. Other gods were just lazy and they didn't feel like working. And so they created humans to serve them. I mean, all these different views of the world and where we came from, right? before the world was made, there was just power, right? strength, impersonal power to rule, to control, to demand, to say, you serve. But the Christian story starts with father and son. <laughs> you are loved. Before, before the foundation of the world, before you thought to look back, so what I'm trying to get our minds wrapped around and praying that this will drop down into our hearts is your story begins with God's fatherly love. And as Trinity, this God is a God who overflows. He's other-centered. And that's what's shaping us more than anything else. So, we're loved. Second, we're wanted. Uh, the words Paul goes on to use here in chapter 1, uh, that God was choosing, uh, predestined, predestining according to the purpose of his will, uh, that he had a plan for the fullness of time, a plan for everything, uh, that God is working all things together according to the counsel of his will in verse 11, including our predestination. All right, I mean, what is... This brings up a lot of questions, but focus in on what Paul is trying to do. He's exploding with praise for who God is and how he loves. Right, what does he say? Essentially, the church is wanted. You're wanted in Christ. Right? God is an intentional father. He has a plan for this world. You know what, do you know what it means to have an intentional father? I mean, I know this is one of the, the deep heartaches of our world as, as so many of us grew up with fathers who don't do this well or who are absent or by tragedy or, or sin, right? They're just absent. Paul is saying, look at how blessed you are. You have God as Father and he, He's intentional. He wanted you. And this past week I was listening to a podcast about intentional fathering <laughs> And uh, I'll see if I can tell this story. I, I couldn't tell Bethany without tearing up, but this, this author, pastor, John Tyson, confessed that when he had a son, it just terrified the bejeepers out of him. He's like, how in the world am I going to take this cute bundle of joy and form him into a functional man, a functional adult? And so he's like, how in the world do I father my son? And so he just, it just sent off a deep dive. He started to think about how can I intentionally be a father. And so when he got to the teenage years, he said, I do not want to waste my, I don't want to just show up for a few years and then expect my son to figure it out on his own. I want to be involved in his life. And so he was sitting in his kitchen with his teenage son. There's, his son's probably around 14 years old. 
And uh, he had laid out this whole plan for what, from 12 to 18 to sending you off to college. Say, son, these are the things we're going to do. I'm calling it the primal path to manhood. This is my plan to father you. And while they were sitting there, right, his son looked at him and said, Dad, where did this plan come from? Right? What, what was this journey like for you? And his dad said, well, I didn't go through this. So, Dad, where did the plan come from? And here's what the father said. I made it up for you. You're my son. I love you. Right? And so he could see, the son could see the whole plan laid out before his eyes. And he's hearing his dad say, I love you. And of course, all the, the poor kid can do is, is, right, his tears are, his eyes are welling up with tears and saying, Dad, I really feel loved right now. <laughs> that was for a six-year plan. Paul's given us the eternity plan. I mean, how should you and I respond when you hear Paul the Apostle lay out the whole gospel, God's intentional before eternity plan for us, that you are wanted in Christ <laughs> and he has a plan to not leave you alone until he sees you face to face to the point where he deposits his spirit in you, which is the guarantee that you're part of this great future that is uniting all things. The whole point of all this predestination stuff of being loved, of being chosen, of being wanted, of being forgiven, of being adopted, to be holy and blameless, of having God lavish gift after gift, grace after grace, right? As you would respond like that, that 14-year-old son to the praise of God's glorious grace, Dad, I feel really loved right now. Right? So if you look at this, this is a plan. God's intentional fathering. Some call it a covenant, right? The covenant of redemption, right? If you're theologically minded, that's what this is called. The plan that God the Father and God the Son uh, worked out between them before the world was made. Right? It's just describing God's intentional fathering of this world. And so you got a picture when God says, right, he chose us in Christ before the foundation of the world with the goal that we would be holy and blameless before him. Right, this is personal, in God's presence. Right, you got a picture, at some point, God the Father is saying to the Son, Son, I have a plan to love humans. They're not going to deserve it. In fact, I'm going to send you into the world into an orphaned, runaway place marked with violence, greed, selfishness, lust, cruelty. I mean, all the ugliness that human beings have contributed. And I want you, son, my son whom I love, to be willing to climb up the altar of the cross, to bleed and suffer for them, to pay the price that they may know, <laughs> those who are running away, that they may know I am their father and I love them. And son, I'm going to give you everything you need for this mission. I'm going to give you every spiritual blessing to equip you to be the Savior, that, that the Spirit's going to be with you in your weakness, in your suffering. As Hebrews says, the Spirit empowered Jesus while he was on the cross to die in our place. Son, you're my chosen servant, the one in whom I delight. It's Isaiah 42. And so you can picture the father saying to the son then, son, will you be the lamb of God 
who takes away the sin of the world. For all those written in this book of life. And Jesus, the son, says, yes, Father, your will be done. It's, a, it's an agreement. Right? And so the father says, all those I give you, none will be lost, and they are chosen in Christ. Jesus is the center of this whole picture. Jesus has agreed before we ever knew it to stand in the gap between us and the justice we deserve. Right? It's so certain that when you get to Revelation chapter 13, verse 8, and John is laying out the differences between two kinds of humans. There are those who are takers, who imitate the beast, and there are those, and this is what he says, all those whose names are written in the Lamb's book of life, the Lamb who was slain before the foundation of the world. That's literally what it says, that the Lamb was slain before the foundation of the world, which is John's way of saying, look at how certain your redemption was. Right? The covenant of redemption is <laughs> the reason we're here. You're, you're loved in Christ. You're wanted in Christ. You've been graced upon grace <laughs> in Christ. So the whole story of the world begins with God the Father, God the Son, planning to share, to lavish all the riches of heaven, the riches of our Heavenly Father, on moral failures like you and me. <laughs> what do you do with that? Father, I feel really loved right now. <laughs> Or as it says three times in this passage, all this stuff is to lead you to praise. Verse 6, to the praise of his glorious grace. Verse 12, to the praise of his glory. Verse 14, to the praise of his glory, which all that is really saying, look at what you've done for me. All I can do is receive the gift with thanks. All right. So this is how the story begins. Before we knew to look back. Lastly here, we're united, or being united, right? There's a plan. This is part of the intentional fathering plan for the whole world, including us. Verse 10, Paul writes out, right, the mystery of why we're here is Christ. And he made known to us the mystery of his will, verse 9, according to his purpose, he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven and in earth. So what is this plan? What is God's plan, right? He's, his plan for the world is to unite heaven and earth. All things through Jesus. Right? And so the whole story of the Bible, if you can get this wrapped around your head in our minds, from, the, from before the beginning to the end and beyond, right? Which is a new beginning that, that's the best beginning where each day is better than the day before. Right? All of that is about heaven coming down to earth, being joined together, like a marriage. Right? The whole point of the story is you get to see Jesus, <laughs> the one who loves you, uh, the Father who sent this Jesus to love you. Right? And we're going to get into the, the, the dark parts of the story of the Bible, but just think about that. Uniting is our goal. <laughs> I mean, the, the power of sin is that everything falls apart. That's what happens. Uniting is not how we experience life, is it? 
Is it not? I mean, relationships fall apart. Both parties feel unwanted. (laughs) Families split. Parents and kids feel unwanted. Our own selves aren't united, right? I know me, right? I've got the me I like and I've got the me I hate. And I wish I could get rid of the me I hate, but it turns out we're connected. <laughs> right? I'm alienated from myself. And if you just look at the world, everywhere you look, uniting is not the natural state of the world. It's, it's splitting apart. I mean, politics, ethics, religions, languages, cultures, nations, and we haven't even talked about death, the destroyer of all things uniting. Now, when Paul lays out this whole story, this is what he says, the moment you start to believe, the moment you get, you get grafted in by grace to the story of Jesus, you get swept up into God's work in the world, and that work is to unite all things together in Jesus. That's astounding good news, <laughs> right? First, right, what's he going to do? He's, first, he's uniting you to God through Jesus. That's chapter 2 of Ephesians. Once you didn't give a rip about what God thinks, you were following the prince of the power of this era, this world who's only a taker, right? where you just do what you want, following the desires of your, your flesh, our desires. But because of the great love which with God loved us while we were dead, unaware of God, he made us alive together in Christ. He woke us up. Right? So that's the first part of the story that, that the uniting comes between us and God. We were running away, not caring. The story of the gospel is to reunite you with your father. And we get to learn how to be fathered. And then second... We're also united together. The first family, we're going to get into this. Adam and Eve, right? God puts them together. It's a a joyful marriage. And then the first time sin enters into the world, what happens? Adam says, ah, it's her fault. Relational breakdown. Then the first kids, Cain and Abel, right? Cain kills Abel. But they're all one family. And then the whole rest of the story of the Bible is how human beings as a family is just been scattered, been broken, been hurt, been injured. And what the gospel does is start to put humanity back together again in Christ. It's amazing. Right, where, we're, where we're headed, a uniting of all things under Jesus, people, families from every tribe, tongue, and nation, all adopted as sons, given the gift of eternal life. Right? so cool. Ephesians 2 again goes on and shows how this uniting works, right? You were once far off, you've been brought near by Jesus, for he himself is our peace who has made us one. And he has broken down in his flesh the the dividing wall of hostility, the things that separate us, that the love of God the Father is so good, and the shock of Christ having to die to wake us up, to motivate us to love others. Jesus himself is our peace. Those who were once enemies now come together as a family. Friends in Christ who would otherwise never want to forgive each other. And I know we're just scratching the surface, but I'm trying to get your mind 
our minds wrapped around this picture of all things will be united in Jesus in the fullness of time at the end of all things. And it's starting now. It started with your faith in Jesus and being joined in a community. Right? All things will be united. All things will be healed. It's rooted and grounded in the covenant of redemption. God's fatherly love is the source of all this. So, by way of conclusion here, keep reading Paul. How do you get in on the love of God, the Father? How do you get this story to be your story that, that the end of the story, <laughs> that all things sad will come untrue when Jesus returns? Right? How, do you, how do you get on that? It's right there in verse 13. Right? It says, in Jesus, in Christ, Paul writes, you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and you believed in him, you were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. <laughs> so what kind of story are we entering into? One that requires faith. When you heard the word of truth, the true story, the gospel, it's good news. Right? The gospel of your salvation, what are you called to do? You believe in Jesus. Trust that he lived the life we should have lived. He died the death we should have died and rose again and included us. And all we have to do is receive such a gift with a believing heart. It's, it's the means through which God blesses us. Right? The Heidelberg Catechism. It says, hey, this is a wholehearted trust. In what? Well, that God has freely granted, not only to just me, but to others, forgiveness of sins, a perfect record of eternal righteousness, salvation. And these are gifts of sheer grace given solely by Christ's work on your behalf, his merit. Right? To believe the story that there is a father who's been committed before this world was born to bless you in Christ. And what's the effect? Well, the Holy Spirit comes. He gets deposited in you and in me. And he's making known God's fatherly love, all these blessings. But the way Paul talks about it here, he is, you're sealed, right? Marked as belonging to your father. It's like the legal mark of adoption, in that sense, right? And he's the guarantee of our inheritance, which is the portrait of the future, until we acquire possession of it, right? If you have the Holy Spirit, because you've set your faith in Christ, you're already brought into the life of God the Father, God the Son, and God the Spirit. <laughs> and that is the guarantee that you will be with him at the end of all things. It's the down payment, if you will. It's astounding. Right? It's, it's the, it's the blood-bought engagement ring. <laughs> right? that, that because you have been marked by God's grace, he swears he will not leave you alone and he's going to come back for you. You're part of the new creation now. What Jesus is up to. So, what story... Have you been telling yourself? 
This is where I want to end. What story have you been telling yourself? Does it include God's fatherly love before the foundation of the world? That you are loved? That you're wanted in Christ? Don't forget the in Christ, right? It's all centered in Jesus. And that you are loved right now and that he's promised to not leave you alone. And the proof is that you have the Holy Spirit dwelling in you, pouring out this love in your hearts. And as the, the old hymn goes, My heart owns none before thee, O God, for your rich grace I thirst. This knowing, if I love thee, thou must have loved me first. Let's pray. Our Father and our God, there is a lot here, and I pray that uh, we would, you would melt the hardness of our hearts uh, by your grace, and that we would see Jesus in love, gifting us this deep, beautiful fatherly love, and you would father us. Help us trust the plan, help us restore ourselves, help us to go forth from here knowing that we are loved, we are wanted, and if there are those who do not yet know you, Lord, that you would convict them and show them their need of Jesus, the beloved, so that we might be beloved in him. So thank you for this amazing gift. May we go out as faithful imitators of you this week, in Jesus' name, amen.